Welcome to the Arrest All Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talon. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Talon. I am your host. This is the Original Thinking and Creative Innovation podcast. How's everyone doing? Hope you're all good. Great episode coming up today with the art editor of When Saturday Comes, Doug Cheeseman, who kindly spent close on two hours with me taking me through the history of his own story and a fantastic magazine. It's a fans, a print fanzine made by hand in the mid-1980s that turned into a very successful magazine and it's now in all good news agents. So Doug's going to take me through that whole journey today um, and his own journey actually from growing up as a young lad in the 1970s in South Benfleet uh, without any kind of calling or passion really beyond football and it was that love of football in a small suburban English town that led him to a long and healthy career as the art editor of When Saturday Comes, uh, a much-loved magazine. A little backstory behind this, um, actually When Saturday Comes was my very first client in illustration. I had one kind of shelved job that never got used a little about a year before that in a former style before I found this kind of line drawing style which has become my, my signature look these days as an illustrator but what happened was close towards the end of university when you're in that kind of phase where you're totally sick of it and you just want to graduate and you're right in the thick of the dissertation and everything seems really stressful you know the pressure's on it all just feels like it's never going to end and I remember one particular incident when I was sitting in the University of Central Lancashire Library in the journal section and if I'm honest I was just kind of hiding and passing the time, putting off going back to my dissertation which I'd fallen out of love with and it just so happened that sitting on one of those little metal footstools that you get in the libraries that are not really intended to be sat on but I guess they're used more for sitting on than they are standing um, Right in my line of sight was a whole wedge of When Saturday Comes archive magazines and this happened at a time when Leeds United had completely gone to shit my football team and we were in great financial trouble and I was kind of wounded with the state of football and what was happening to my club that I'd spent the past 10 years in total obsession with. Uh, and you know, I kind of lost myself in these magazines, flicking through them, pulling up these old archives of Leeds when we were good. And, you know, we had the, the bright young kids coming through and we were the next big thing and all the neutrals had started to sort of get behind us. Much like Newcastle United in the mid-90s and, um, I guess, Leicester at the moment. So I found this magazine, but the big, the big and, you know, the big important takeaway was that I picked up these magazines and quite quickly realised they were running two to three illustrations every issue and this got me really excited because what happens is you know the difference between the glossies as in 442 magazine or um i'm struggling to think of any of the other the, the big hitters now but those type of magazines were all about glossy photo shoots and the big celebrity players and the big the big scoop and when saturday comes was kind of the antithesis to that it was the the fans' voice, the comment pieces, the the satire, and and you know having a dig at the negative side of the game and celebrating the positive in a very human fashion. Uh, and it just felt more accessible to me. So for a would-be illustrator who was about to graduate without a, a fucking clue of where to get started in my industry, here is this magazine that feels like it's handmade, like a fanzine, and it suddenly felt like, hang on a minute, you know, I I might get a reply if I send my work into these guys. So. This suddenly became quite exciting, so I very much made a note and kept it on the back burner until a year or a year and a half after graduation. 
And when I finally launched a very poor website made by myself in Dreamweaver, these were the first guys I contacted. And lo and behold, Doug Cheeseman, the art editor, got back to me and said, hey, how's it going? Thanks for getting in touch. Like your stuff, it's got a bit of a when Saturday comes feel. It's, you know, it's organic, it's handmade. It feels like it's kind of unfinished, much like the magazine. So keep in touch. Send me some stuff over, you know. Keep, let me know what you're doing. Uh, there's nothing right now, but we do commission illustration and we will keep you in mind. And you get used to hearing that, you know, you're on file, we will keep you in mind. But in this instance, uh, it felt like there was a chance. And so what I started to do is, is really kind of think, OK, I'm, I know about football. I've, I've grown up obsessed uh, with, with the game. You know, I kept an entire scrapbook over the 97-98 Leeds United season, uh, cutting and pasting, graphic designing without realising it as a kid, instinctively just out of sheer love and sheer passion. Um, and... It led me to my first client because after sending Doug these kind of, you know, I I created specific sample illustrations of the current hot topic of the week and would send them over to Doug and go, what do you think? You know, here's the latest. That's, you know, look what happened two days ago. Here's my take on it. And about three months of doing that paid off when I got a phone call um, from Doug saying, "Uh, we got a commission for you. Are you up for doing us an illustration for a certain thing? And of course, you completely implode and it's the most exciting feeling in the world. But quite quickly the excitement gives way to this insurmountable pressure that you place on yourself with your first commission but over the next couple of years I would work more or less every issue for when Saturday comes and become kind of a you know a part of a magazine that feels like a a family when when you hear Doug's story a little later in this episode and Doug would guide me and really develop that human element that was there in my style but I didn't have the experience to see or understand the value of and he would encourage me to doodle more to scribble more to get more kind of mistakes in there and really really give it that feel that flavor and it's now become something that I've built my reputation on as an illustrator so you know this is not about me but I just wanted to get across the importance of uh, my my professional relationship with Doug and when Saturday comes but more importantly Doug's going to walk us through the magazine's 30 year history that's right it's the 30th anniversary this year of when Saturday comes which is why I wanted to celebrate that and celebrate a unique magazine which has stood the test of time and gone through the digital revolution still intact it's still giving a fan comment voice that was always there in the fanzines and that cannot really be replaced in digital this is something that you have to hold in your hands and understand and the amazing photo features that Doug oversees and became a pivotal part of throughout the mag you can't replicate that in 72 dpi it's got to be something that you see in print it's got to be something held in your hand and you you own it for yourself in that in a way that only print magazines can can provide so we're going to go through that journey um I'll never forget picking up the first copy that I did an illustration for in print in WH Smith's in Brixton on my first trip to London to see clients and it was the biggest buzz probably of my career today. It's right up there with working for WWE, it's right up there with going on to work for Leeds United, the Guardian Sport, all things that I've, I've got to thank Doug for and when Saturday comes. So I hope you enjoy that. Definitely get feedback to us at the Rest of the Mix on the Twitter uh, facebook.com forward slash arrests all mimics go and like the page keep up to date with a little more detail there'll be a few stories on there coming up from our guests um, and a, a thanks to the association of illustrators who've been kindly sharing the podcasts the last couple of weeks um, if you're starting out as an illustrator if you've got a query and you don't know how to begin pricing you've got a real contract that you're not quite sure about then the association, the association of illustrators are the guys for you to go and uh, join up and benefit from the 
on-demand help in all that in all those fields. If you don't have an agent, which I guess is the case for most people, then they're a really great organisation to go and chat to. So thanks to them for sharing the podcast. Easy to find on social media. Uh, I believe it's the AOI.com, the website. I might be wrong. Go and find out. Just Google them. Very easy to find. So get us your feedback on the show. Also, I'd like to know what you think about the new branding and promotional material for the show, which is... 3D print of my head. That was interesting. Uh, I won't go into detail with the story now, but go and check it out. Let us know what you think about the, the promo. Exciting times. Listeners are coming up. Keep keep with us. Download the show. Go and subscribe on iTunes, please. Uh, and let us know how you feel about today's show. So, you find me with Doug Cheeseman in his home studio in a whole vast archive of football porn. Enjoy. What's your, what is your background? Anyway, I don't even know your background. Where are you from originally? Um... From South Benfleet in Essex. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was early closing on a Wednesday, nothing to do on a Sunday, nothing on TV, nothing on TV during the day. And, mm. you know, the 80s were around the corner, things were going downhill badly, you know. It wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really a culturally enlightening time. And Essex, much as I love it now, is not a culturally enlightening place. It's like, it's kind of where people go to get away from, because they want to kind of, sort of want an easy life, they're sort of getting away from things. It's people who moved out of London because they've had enough of London. Or yeah, yeah. It's people who like Essex because they like the fact that it's a little bit of a closed mindset. And there's a, yeah. So it's a strange place to grow up. It doesn't really sort of forge you with great confidence. Mm. Um, so I got into, into music. I was into music, really. Um, what, about your fo- what about football background? Were you, were you always a fan or is that just something? Oh, yeah. Um, well... Uh, the thing about nothing about Essex is a very kind of ambiguous place. It's like, as I say, it's kind of vague. Everything you're not really sure whether you belong where you belong or who is what, and that's reflected in the football really. Because most of the people, the most the most well supported team in Essex where I grew up was West Ham because they were the East End team, and everybody who lived in the East End in the fifties and sixties tended to migrate out if they made a few bob. They wanted to get out of London. They mm. moved to Essex because that was the next step. That's the next station down the line. Yeah. So in places like Basildon, which is quite near me. Where I grew up, and South Enfleet, and in South End, uh, and Canvey, which was near me, uh, West Ham were the best supported team. Lots of people supported West Ham because their dads did. So the yeah. people who were like, came from probably originally working class families had moved out, made a few bob, yeah. decided to make. You know, Essex was the place to be. Yeah, you'd get that. So half, say, fifty percent of the kids supported West Ham, and the rest would either support. Leeds, because they were big in the 70s, in my room. When you were just a twinkle. I was made very aware of it by my Which I'm dad's. sure someone yeah. might have told you at some point, when you were just a twinkle in your mother's eye, Leeds were, were pretty fucking good team to support. Yeah. And also, because they were rock hard, people liked that, actually. A lot of people hated Leeds because they were, they, were, they were bastards, basically. But other people liked that. Because well, they were like, a cult side of it, isn't there? Yeah, it was yeah. like, well, we don't care. They were, it was a bit of a kind of, well... You hate us for being so good and brutal. But that's <laughs> yeah. good. And it's funny because the hate stuck around, but the, the good bit hasn't. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's... Well, you're jumping ahead here, but I think it's kind of gone full circle. My mate from Leeds says that it's all gone postmodern now and everyone's sort of ironic about it. <laughs> yeah. You might want to... I don't know what you, whether you agree with that. The damned United kind of... Yes, yeah, maybe. Brought back a few. Maybe, yeah. So what was... Speaking visually now then, what was... Because obviously that's before my time. I'm, I'm 32 yeah. now, so my early years were late 80s. But what... What was the sort of visual language going on at that point? Because obviously this was pre-internet, pre-sky, pre-marketing, um, at least in a, on a big scale. What, what you know? What do you think? Because obviously there's that tribal mentality that comes from it. Well, I mean, were fanzines the thing then? Were fanzines around? No, this was pre-fanzines really. I mean, in the late seventies, fanzines were um, 
you, there was music fanzines around Sniffing Glue and the punk, post punk, punk, punk and post punk mm. was kind of where I, I first became aware of fanzines. Or there were, I mean, there was sixties art fanzines and stuff, and seventies yeah. rock fanzines and kind of cult uh, political fanzines and stuff in the sixties and seventies. The first fanzines I was aware of were to do with um, uh, the music scene in around the punk late seventies and early eighties. Yeah, post punk new wave. So that's when I first became. I did, I, but I was. I lived in Benfleet. There wasn't like you know two hundred punks with like this amazing art school. <laughs> yeah. There was like nobody. Yeah, you know. So I didn't really pick up on that. I was. I knew that it happened. I had. I mean, I used to have. Um, this is what art meant to me in the late seventies. More sort of ephemeral approach. This is my scrapbook. Nice. From 1974. Oh, this is what art is to me. Yeah. That's so, fantastic. It's the league table from like that. Leeds Liverpool, it's Derby. I mean, <laughs> what can for, for, for listeners, there's a uh, thick pencil block, block capital league table written in a yellowing scrapbook. And where he's tried to write Burnley, there's a crossed out bun above it. <laughs> Misspelling, and then I love the massive B in Derby. Yeah, that's exactly, it's a beautiful thing. This is my, this, look, this is what I like. This is my division chart. This is the mm. saying to me. This was the league table which was published. Yeah, but this is mine. Just in the room. It's like, <laughs> the saying to me, and then, cause this is any old picture. You just cut it. There like, is ma- there is many teams in first division altogether. There is twenty two wonderful football teams. Look that at that. Right. That's honesty in it. That's human honesty. That's my first piece of art. You see, <laughs> I kept um, arguably my best as well. I don't know. I um <coughs> I don't think I've topped it. I've worked for Doug for uh, for listeners for seven years, and this is first, the first time I've met him. And I, I got off the tube. Doug kind of just pulled me over in the street because I'm wearing like a '97, '98 Leeds United football shirt. There's a little just to mark the occasion, really. <laughs> this, I kept scrapbooks from that season. I think is my point. And um, I have four scrapbooks detailing the whole season, including Yorkshire Evening Post clippings of rumours about signing players like Dean Sturridge, not Dean Sturridge, Daniel Sturridge. Um, it's just. It, I think that's it's the obsession level, isn't it, with football that um, that breeds this kind of stuff. Is it, is it a fan-driven thing? I mean, this looking at these scrapbooks now, you know, this if this is before fanzines, maybe this it's was the origin of, of of how they would start. <coughs> the, the people, it's before football fanzines, but there was uh, there was actually a football fanzine in the early seventies. In the oh, there was a fanzine called Foul in the seventies, which was a complete lone voice. Yeah. Um, I've got a book of it somewhere, but I can't find it because I remember looking for it recently. There was a, um, and the guys who did it subsequently went on to become journalists. Um, they did a, uh, a self-produced fanzine called Foul in the mid-70s. Yeah. And that was the only thing within football. There was within other genres, there was. Uh, there was a kind of art and music fanzine scene. Within football, there was this thing called Foul, and it was quite good. But it was, it was a bit sort of private eye, a bit sort of um, kind of uh, crit- very critical of the game and quite serious. Um, but home produced, so it had charm. I wish I could show you the book, but I haven't got it with. I was mm. looking for it for someone else the other day and I couldn't find it. Um, so for me, that was all a world away at that time because I was in Benfleet. There was no mm. culture was very hard to find. So you had to kind of make your own little world of culture. Yeah, and it could be. I mean, this is the interesting thing about the team I support. The first team I supported was Sheffield United. Yeah, and um, the reason was it was 1974. I really liked Tony Curry. And I thought the kit was really good because there wasn't a lot of colour imagery in, in football generally. Yeah. You know, TV was black and white. Yeah. Um, shoot and stuff would have colour pictures, but it'd be mostly black and white. Yeah. Uh, so if you saw something in colour, it would really crystallise in your mind, or it would like be 
be really yeah. all consuming. I know this sounds odd, but a colour picture no, of Tony no. Curry would be like fucking hell. That's magic. You know, that'd be like um, yeah. that'd be a real elevation in your in your kind of mindset. And so I, just, I didn't. This is going to sound really stupid because I I didn't actually realise where Sheffield was. And it didn't matter. Mm. I just thought I like the idea of Sheffield United. I like this kit. And in this book, actually, yeah. Um, there's something to be said about that because um, now I, I suppose if I was a kid growing up now I would wow there's a little floret a Sheffield United floret stuck between two things Sheffield are my best football team scrapbook. Sheffield are my best football team and I've got a little um, colour rosette from the news agents I was amazed when they beat Liverpool I'm not surprised I often play football in the field so you know that that, that is it in a, in a nutshell there was you know you could that was it. But these things were precious, weren't they? Because I used to go to games with my dad at Elland Road, and, and every every other home, obviously every other week would be a home game because we had a season ticket in 1991. And he would treat me to a little um, a little metal pin badge, and that was I was so excited walking up to that. You know, you've got a hundred to choose from, and this little guy selling them outside for a pound each or whatever. My God, like the excitement! But if I was growing up now with this complete information overload, there's nothing. Why would anything be special when you can you can sit and look at forty images on a train journey? Whereas we had to. I mean, I'm going forward probably ten years from this, maybe more. But you know, I had a paper round, and I would buy a match magazine every week and get an advance on my paper round wage yeah. to take home match magazine. And it, it, was, it was great if there was a full colour spread of Legion. Wow, what a precious thing, you know! And it was on my wall. It was it was looked after. I'd look at it every day, and, and yeah. whereas I think now it's you. you you, the kid, many kids are not forced to um, forced to sort of create and generate their own love of it. You know, maybe that's what the origin of fanzines stemmed from. It is, um, and it's definitely an outsider thing with fanzines. I sort of agree and disagree with you though, because the, you have to work with what you've got. We work with what we've got. I had next. I mean, I we I was quite lucky. We lived in a. You know, my dad had a job. He was a teacher. We weren't. Yeah, you know, we weren't foraging for food. Yeah, you know, we weren't mm. broke. We weren't skin. Yeah, we weren't. We weren't so aspirationally middle class, but we weren't, you know, like a lot of people were in some ways really struggling to pay the bills or anything. We were reasonably yeah. comfortable. Same but So I had, you know, I was, that was luck, I was lucky in that respect. Um, but then what you don't have is um, you've got to have a kind of hunger for something. Yes. See what I mean? So you've got to have the thing that you want to be your own, and you don't know what that's going to be. You can't really control that. Of course not, no. So it comes from within. So the only things that are available to you in the small town Essex... Or football, so you can start playing football with your mates in the street, and you can maybe join the school team, or music because you can maybe um, you can save up your pocket money by singles. I've got still got my singles. I bring them down a bit, uh, and that becomes your um, that becomes a sort of um, that becomes your life. You impose that. Mm. Those visual things become really important because you remember those. I mean, I remember these drawings, and um, they <laughs> they mean they meant the world to me. And like, these these are so. These are the local teams in the paper, so I just think, oh, this is great. I thought, oh wow, look, yeah, there's some these kids go to my. I would have been like ten, but these kids are fourteen or something. Yeah, I think, oh, well, it's amazing that you can be in a team and you can get a colour picture in the local newspaper. Yeah, and that was just like beautiful to me. I just thought this is just yeah. incredible, you know. Well, and that also that sense of belonging when you, whether it's going to watch football or playing football, that initial sense of of uh, everyone having that one common focus and you know and. Belonging to something, and I mean, I, mean, I probably speak from a similar position growing up in a small town like Keithley. But again, that was that was a big yeah. thing. Weekends going and playing football, people around in the same thing. It, it's a, that first feeling of collectivity that's not imp- not imposed upon you like school is. It's it's a choice, you know. Yeah, and it, it becomes your life, and you don't really you can't really control it. It's just you want you want to like something. You want to. Some people 
you know, it can work any direction. It's a completely chemical thing. You know, you, it's a reaction and it can go any direction. Yeah. So it's, it's a strange thing. It's That's funny, isn't it? Because I was talking to a friend recently who used to run his own little music fanzine and he was sort of inspired by Vaughan Oliver, um, the 4AD stuff. And um, yeah. before any of us even knew it, for years we were we were graphic designing, we were illustrating as you're showing me now in these scrapbooks and as I did. It, all the annotations, everything. You know, you don't see it like that. It's not a conscious thing, but you are. You're you, you're already training in graphic design because you're laying, you know, you're laying things out. Yeah. You're thinking about spatial awareness and it, exactly, exactly what it is. And the, the fact, the thing I like about these is you're not thinking about spatial awareness. You are, but you don't realise you are. It's all completely organic, which is probably the best way to which is odd. To so develop. You, you can actually distance yourself from what you're doing. You actually do something more interesting. Sometimes. Yeah, of course. Odd. The harder you try, the kind of worse <laughs> something gets. Sometimes. <laughs> this is one thing I really love about this book here, which you just happened to stumble across, is. Um, this is this I've, I've captioned this Arsenal because it's an Arsenal strip, but that's not Arsenal, <laughs> as you can quite clearly see. <laughs> that's a local team who play in a in a strip that looks a bit like Arsenal's. So, I've, yeah. but I've, I've, it's great, it's Arsenal. Yeah, it must be Arsenal, you know. But really, it's just some blokes who play in the South Benfleet team, whatever, you know, <laughs> the pub team or something. Yeah. So we went to some West Ham games in the early seventies, and it was just sensational because we were, Essex is quite a conservative place, quite a conservative little Catholic school. Mild mannered people, you know, quite sort of genteel place. It's on the it's on the estuary. You know, there's there's mud and shit everywhere, and just kind of not sort of stuff. Yeah, but it's not def- easily definable. And then all of a sudden, we went to West Ham, which is the heart of the East End, full of rock hard working class East End blokes, quite a lot of skinheads in the early seventies. Some really severe language that I certainly hadn't heard in the playground of a Holy Family primary school. And, so, and it was just, but it was, but it was just like I thought. I'm suddenly, I felt like I'm alive. This is like, um, there's a world out here. that's a bit like this. Yeah. And you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have to get to find out more about this because this is, yeah. If this is going on, then um, you know, I want to know about it. But oh, but I was too young really. I couldn't really control it. So I'd have to yeah. go with them and dad or my dad's friend. Oh, well, no. I do remember as a car because we used to have the big in the London region because Essex was TV, in the TV London region. We used to get the big match on Sunday, and it would usually be West Ham, Spurs, Arsenal. Highlights, but often West Ham, actually. But it was black and white, so it looked like it, it looked like it was coming from the moon, really. It was like, well, you know, this could, here's some footage we found of some football. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch it if you want, but it looks a bit like football. It's yeah. fuzzy. Thing. <laughs> and when we went to the game, it was like, whoosh. Not only was it physically embracing, it was visually embracing. Mm. And like you were saying about... It was like I was there in my mother care brown trousers or whatever, age ten or eleven. And like there's blokes with their um like skinhead uh, jeans rolled up to uh, as high as their knee, you know, like sixteen whole DMs and yeah. like rock hard fucking brain. I thought, fucking hell, these these people really exist. This is like this is this is serious, this is not real. So I remember going to a few games, we went to ch- and the fun, the fun, the great thing was the colour, because you would go that's the only colour you ever saw in football. Slightly yeah. off registration, slightly bad badly printed picture in shoe whatever if you could find a colour one you'd chop it out and give it special treatment yeah mostly it was black and white there's a fair bit of colour yeah. from shoe actually and then when you walk out of those stairs and see that pitch and you see that vibrant green yeah. it's like and it's, it's real colour it, it, and it, it kits but West Ham played in claret and blue which is a really good combination yeah and they, I saw them play Wolves who play in gold and black I mean it's like that's just like beautiful those colours are just meant to go together yes. generally. well at this point I was still at school so I was I was just getting ready to leave school I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do yeah. Um, 
And when I went to college, I can I would I would have liked really liked to have done art, but I yeah. didn't have an art O level because I only did C, only did CSEs. Yeah. <laughs> Which for I don't know, did you have CSEs in your day? GCSEs. GCSEs. Oh well, yeah. Well, this is going back. We used to used to O levels and CSEs, and what it was to put it in a nutshell, O levels were for the bright kids, and CSEs were <laughs> for the thick kids. I don't know yeah. how to say that. Are you gonna pump? How many people can listen to this? It's, I don't know. Like, like, well, they will if broke it That's how it works. Anyway. I don't really censor. There's no. There's no. Um, it's true. There's no beating around the bush. If you weren't going to pass row levels, they'd put you on a CSC course. Yeah. And if you got a CSC grade one, it counted as an A level. So it was a backdoor way for them. To, it was, was well meaning actually. It was quite a democratic thing. They were saying that like, O levels are maybe a bit elitist, mm. and there's lots of kids who are not going to pass them, and they're going to leave school with no O levels. Yeah. So it was actually quite a positive thing. They basically said, and those kids are going to end up not getting a job. Yeah. Because someone's going to say, how many O-levels you got? And they're going to say, none. Well, yeah. yeah and they're going to say, well, fuck off. There's no difference to when someone's good with their hands, maybe not, not so good with their academic subject. You see, you go and find what their, what their thing is, uh, apprenticeships and colleges, you know, and, and Bristol, exactly. whatever it is. All of my friends went down that road. And yeah. It's about finding what activates a kid, isn't yeah. it? So it was sort of a good thing, but what it meant was, when I went to sixth form college, it was much, I went to quite a trendy sixth form college, it was much more open-minded, and yeah. more like university actually, and um, kids came from other schools where they'd done art, O-level, and you know, mm. been taught stuff, you know, they yeah. knew, they had already had their imagination fired a little bit about what you could do with graphics, and they understood stuff, you know, I remember going to the, I remember a friend of mine was doing art uh, A-level, which I couldn't do because I only had the CSE, you know, it didn't count. Um, and I went into this art studio and I was like, oh, fucking hell, I can't believe it. There was like graph people, some people were doing graphics, some people mm. were doing typography, some people were doing photography. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, yeah. I never even, uh, my, my family didn't have a, you know, we had some family shots, but were, you know, the thought of doing something creative with a camera was yeah. like absolutely a Willy, Willy moment with this So I was actually quite intimidated by that, if I'm honest, because I thought, well, I can't do any of that, because these kids really don't, you know, yeah. they're the same age as me, but they can already do all this really great stuff. So I was quite relieved, actually. Yeah. I thought I'd have been out of my depth. With my CSE grade one and my picture of Paul Weller, his hand coming around the guitar at the wrong point. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to cut it. I could yeah. tell. Yeah. Um, so I did other. I just did. I just did day levels in the subjects that I'd done best in. Yeah. I did quite well in geography. And I did quite well in English, and I did drama. So I just veering towards slightly more creative subjects, but I hadn't complete accident. I don't, you know, I had to go. You know, I wasn't going to. I wanted to go to this college, and I had to study something. Mm. It wasn't scientific. You know. And then I got into music instead. So I managed to go to do what the fuck I want yeah. <laughs> for about 18 months because no one was really... There was, a, there was a bit of a vacuum, basically. So I left college and I pl- hang around with my mates playing in bands, doing whatever, whatever I wanted. I did a few little jobs. You could sign on when you left... Co- in, in the late 80s when I left... Actually, I left college in 1985 and could sign on. And that's just... That's complete creative freedom. You basically... You've got a roof over your head because you're still living at home just if you haven't been bigged out... Which you are about to be, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but and you can pick up Dole, which was uh, not um, an unemployment benefit. I, I, no, I, it was literally like creative benefit. That's what it was. Which is fantastic, by the way. I don't think it wasn't what it was meant to be, but it was brilliant. Mm. I could, you could get income support. And I think it was about twelve quid, twelve or fifteen quid. No, really, I would just get on everyone's nerves. But it was quite a beautiful for me. It was quite a yeah. beautiful thing. And you can never go back, but it's almost like the most perfect time. You know, you're no longer under the constraints of the family. Yeah. You're not under the constraints of an educational institution. Mm. Uh, you've got some money, enough. You've got food. You've got somewhere yeah. to live. I mean, what more could you want? That is yeah, enough to develop a personality, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I was pig and shit, really. It was great. Yeah. Um, you know, I did do, 
I did some, some crap jobs as well, which is also important to do crap jobs because then yeah. you kind of think, well, kind of need to make sure I don't end up in this crap job. Yeah, forever, I agree. Yeah. You know I mean? Some of my mates were living in like bed sits in Southend, and it didn't actually appeal to me. Actually, I thought actually that's sort of real life. That's kind of like now you need your benefits yeah. to buy a can of tin of, tin of beans, too real, and, yeah. to, and to make beans and toast to get by. And quite frankly, I thought quite a few people I knew were doing it. I thought actually it doesn't that great, and I'll be stuck in Southend. And um, we had musical differences in the band as well, anyway, obviously. Um, and so I um, said, I, I said I'll go for clearing then, because that was a good way of saying that I'm still making an effort. And they were fucking well offered me a place. I couldn't believe it at Brighton, yeah, at Sussex University. They offered me a place doing geography, I think it was. So I had I had to make a decision, which was either go to. I mean, I feel guilty saying this, but some people, you know, would, would, might work really hard to get on this. Yeah. <laughs> and here was me just being a lazy shit, and I didn't want to go. <laughs> Uh, but what can you do? You find that's the route I went. I I didn't have a plan. And what was worse, I was with people who were really wanting to be there. So I was really exposed because people, uh, you know, you, there was people there who would like who would try to better themselves. You know, they, they liked it. They wanted to get to their work. So I just hung out with my mates, my mate Martin from Leeds, mm. and a couple of other new friends who I made, and we just sort of hung around like toe rags really until we got booted out. Until I got booted out. In fact, you couldn't get booted out. You knew I had to leave. When I left, they said, "Oh, we didn't really know you were here." <laughs> yeah. It's like, we, we, <laughs> I had to go in to quit. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, hang on, who, who are you? <laughs> so, you know, I was in, the, I was in your tutor group, and they went, oh, sorry, fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any difference, you know. So, but that was actually quite chastening, because it was actually a little bit heartbreak, because I thought, actually, no one, I did so, I contributed so little here, that no one even knew I was not here. <laughs> which is quite embarrassing actually and also it means you think hang on what, am, what have I become I'm just some lazy I've just you know yeah. I've drifted to the age of 20 and I've not done anything I've just yeah. I've pissed opportunities up the, the wall when I've just been vaguely doing I don't know what I was doing so um, but that's actually part it's quite a creative process that sounds a bit bonkers and a lot of people arrive at the thing they're doing by doing by sort of it, by ruining something else by doing something and a lot of people start a career Mm. And then bail out of it at 25 because they realise they hate it. And um, I said, "Well, I, I've got. To, I know I can't stay because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows I'm here, <laughs> and that's a really bad thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I should be doing something slightly more meaningful than mm. existing. You know what I mean? So um, I went to London, and uh, before uh, before I went to London, a friend of mine said, "Oh, there's this fanzine. When we were into, we were into football, and a friend of mine said, oh, there's this fanzine." When Saturday comes, and um, uh, that's the first issue. You can see the, the first sort of five or six issues were just like the first yeah. copied fans in black and white. Yeah. And it got a review in Time Out in about 1986 when I was in Brighton. And Time Out used to, used to come out in Brighton as well because it was seen as a bit fashionable place to go, even then. Mm. And so uh, my mate says to me, oh, look, there's this fanzine called When Saturday Comes. Oh, that sounds quite, that sounds like a good name. Yeah. There's also a reference to um, uh, an undertone song. And I was always fascinated with East End, coming from because the connections with the East End and South End, always fascinated with London. And I just thought, hang on, and London is just like kind of ferociously interesting and, and intimidating, especially when you're that age. And you've got to move in and live in a cheap area, and you've got to basically, it's, it's like suddenly that's real life. Mm. And I thought, hang on, I've got, I've got to get in touch with real life, because what I'm in danger of becoming is just some, I'm in danger of drifting into non-existence. So I thought, I moved to London, I crashed with Sarah's mates in a house in Clapton, uh, with like eight nurses living in it and me. Um, 
and um, started doing temp jobs. And I remember my mate saying about when Saturday comes, and there was a, it used to be, a, it's not there anymore, there used to be a bookshop called Sports Pages. Remember, this is pre-internet age, so if you wanted to get into something vaguely niche, you had to find a shop. Uh, and because London is so brilliantly plural, shall we say, that you can, there's everything for everyone if you can be bothered, or if you've got the time, yeah. <laughs> you can find it. Um, so you go to Sports Pages, and Sports Pages bookshop had all along the floor Fanzines, like the club fanzines that were just starting up. And the main ones at the time were City Gent at Bradford and yeah. not the view from Celtic. And it was a Spurs one that I liked. And I just thought, hang on, it's somehow crystallised in my mind that all the things that I liked, uh, DIY ethos, the thought that you could do something for yourself, that you didn't necessarily have to be trained. It was just important that you had an idea and that you tried to express it and that you could do it wrong and it didn't matter. Mm. Uh, and that you would kind of evolve. And that's what fanzines were. So all this kind of formed this thing, and I thought, well, hang on, what I really need to do is something that I, re- that I really love and that I can devote myself to, and I know I can, I've got a certain survival. Mm-hmm. I haven't got a high needs, so I just, just need to get by. Yeah. So I, I turned up at When Saturday Comes, I, I bought a few issues, and I loved it, I thought, this is just amazing. It was very, very, very erudite, very um, eloquent. Um, it had an opinion, It was a bit, but it wasn't like a... Um, campaigning thing it wasn't like it was very critical but in a very very thought through kind of way and I really thought that was amazing the way the, 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 the blokes were writing are only a couple of years older than me yeah. and they'd been through uni I guess and they were brighter they were, they, but they could really articulate that was the thing that I liked about it it articulated a view yeah. and crystallised it somehow and I thought well there's something there now I wasn't bright enough to do that for myself but I thought what I'll do is I'll I've got time. I haven't got. I haven't yet got any skills. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got. Uh, but I could do. That's the sort of thing I like to do. So I just offered to help out. And the magazine was just starting to grow a bit at that point. And by hook or by crook, I just sort of hung around helping out, packing books and packing t-shirts and um, doing odd jobs. Uh, and then the magazine started to grow. You got started to get quite popular about. As you can see, the amazing colour masthead came in. Yeah. And there was this. I had a bit of a sort of um, eureka moment when. Um, Andy, yeah, still the editor actually, uh, and I was cut by the blokes around at the time. A guy called John Duncan, who's gone on to bigger and better things, and Bill, Bill you might have heard him. Bill Brewster used to work for us. He's now a DJ. Yeah, uh, he's well known um, on the music scene. Uh, really interesting chap from Grimsby. And it was like this. We were in this. It was the world's worst office in um, Clerkenwell, and there was no reason for the four of us to have been in a room together. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. why? Why were we there? There was no reason, and it, it somehow. It's a bit like, um, it was like a complete accidental business, like people were doing stuff. And then one day, John, the guy from Harrogate, this really creative-thinking guy, very quite inspirational, really, but he was doing the layout. He was really rubbish at it. Mm. He would even admit that like, we used to scalpel stuff up and people would be cutting their fingers and there'd be blood all over the layout boards. It was kind of beautifully anarchic, but it wasn't really very efficient. And so I said... I had this thing that I liked up, but I'd never really been able to, to channel it. And I said, well, why don't you do... He was good at other things. I, I don't know, God, I don't know what he was good at. He was good at, you know, I don't know, drumming up interest, that sort of thing. He was a bit of a, more of a sort of a publishing thinking person. Yeah. I said, well, actually, I can chop up bits of paper and stick them down. I reckon I can do that. Mm. <laughs> so it was literally layout boards and um, scalpels, and we just used to chop it out and lay it out. And I just really liked it. It was like yes. a discipline that I thought... I liked the fact that it was limited... Because mm. the galleys came back from the typesetters, pre-digital age, just get the whole uh, article would be in a long strip of text like that. Oh wow! Yeah. So we would just chop them up and stick them in. But if you got it wrong, it would be wonky. Yeah. Or if you didn't 
have some sort of eye for how many lines were going to be. This is when it starts getting sort of technical. Is if you didn't do it right, the article wasn't going to finish in the right place. No, right. That was the, that yeah. was the level. Yeah. Yeah. And well, somehow, I don't know what it was. Maybe it comes back to like sticking these pictures in the book. I sort of worked out that if you put a big picture there, a little picture there, yeah. the heading there, I had no typographic skills at all at times to speak of, apart from a sort of liking type. I didn't un- didn't understand it, but I just liked it. Uh, so I just chopped it up and stuck it down. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that looks all right. And I worked out that I could, if I did it for long enough. I could do a better job than the other people in the office. And they sort of liked that, because I was hanging around a bit. And they, they, they probably thought, well, if he does that, mm. it makes our life a bit easier, because we were yeah. to do it. And then I got really interested in visuals, because it was quite hard to find them. It was always at the start of our conversation. We had these books, these annuals, like, on my shelves there. Yeah. So if you wanted a picture of Billy Bremner, it was like, oh, well, we better look in the 73 Charles Buchan, there might be one in there. Yeah. So that was how, and it makes you think quite creatively then. Yeah. And you're sort of absorbing other designers' work or other photographers' work, but through a, in a, through a second-hand way. It's filtered. Mm. It's already pre-filtered. Yeah. Um, so all this kind of comes together. It's, it's sort of a bit of a beautiful storm, really. I, mean, I didn't do, produce good work. I mean, you can look at those magazines and a, a graphic designer would say, what the fuck are you, know, are you doing that? Well, and, you know, but then you're developing that, that self-trained scrapbook uh, apprenticeship, so to speak, uh, into a, into a real-life context that people are going to be reading about, you know, and that's, yeah. like, quite invigorating. Definitely. Well, the, then what happened was um, Griffin Magazine was a bit of a phenomenon. People used to sort of quite often just pitch up, like I did, I just pitched up. And it wasn't the day you couldn't sort of send someone an email on spec and say, I'm an illustrator or I'm a photographer, would you be interested in that? You couldn't do that. It wouldn't really work. You could write, which people did. Or you could just pitch up. It was like that was the way it used to work. And we literally, the door would be going quite regularly and it'd be some bloke, usually something like a slightly unhinged person is void. Anyone, because that's what London's like. It was, it was some unhinged bloke from Hull or something, and he'd say, oh, "I've got, you know, a really good idea for an article." And we'd be going, well, "Yeah, what is it then?" Because so, we were, I suppose we we thought we were a bit. Um, we didn't think we were, but we were quite we were quite busy, and we sort of knew what we were doing. Yeah. And people would sort of pitch up, and sometimes I'd just give them short shrift and say, "You know, sorry, mate, it's just it's not going to work," sort of thing. <laughs> so it was quite not brutal, but it was a sort of beautiful. There was a sort of Beautiful accidental mechanism. Yeah. But it's producing a magazine. So it's still what about producing a magazine or a website or a creative piece of work should be if yeah. it's collaborative. Well, it's an, there's an innocence about it as well. If you if you just yeah. this accidental happening in an office, it's um, yeah. and you've got steer right from the ground up, which is uh, yeah, not something that people have the benefit of now. You know, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the publishing industry has completely changed. So it's this. You know. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know how lucky we were, I suppose, but. You know, I learn a lot really just just through hacking away at things. Yeah, like some other people will turn up with better skills, and I think, oh, hang on, what's how come mm. he knows that? And I sort of steal something that they knew. Like a bloke did t-shirt. Funny enough, we just did a reprint of the t-shirt, so, similar to this one, okay, which yeah. is the original yeah. master, because it's thirty years of when Saturday comes this year. Yeah, we're doing some retro stuff now. We're retro. Yeah, <laughs> middle aged Christ, middle aged Christ, <laughs> all retro. Depending on which way you look at it. Yeah. Um, uh, so and this bloke turned up and goes, oh, I print T-shirts, and we, it wasn't like today. We like, look, oh, I'll show you your website, mate. Well, I might have looked at it, sort of thing. Mm. He just came in and was, oh, I've done them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we went, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do some T-shirts then, you know, because it was just like this beautiful, uh, kind of beautiful um, sort of beautiful moments just kind of come together. You think, well, that's the right bloke 
We yeah. just thought, yeah, that bloke, you know, he's support orient or something. Yeah. And we'll go, that would be your credentials. Yeah. <laughs> we thought, well, well actually, that... And that, then I remember conversations about, who's that bloke who supports orient? Yeah. And we go, yeah, we need to get in to do some more of those T-shirts. That's how the business it's, works. I mean, it's not a world away from how I discovered you in the, in the first place. I mean, I, <laughs> I found When Saturday Comes in my university library in the journal section and saw that there were illustrations in there and thought, oh, brilliant. I could draw football. I know about football. <laughs> so I would start to do the topic of the week or whatever it is and send it over to you, you know, and it's like suddenly... I've got knowledge of this product. I need to convince this guy now that I okay, I've got no clients, but I've got an inherent knowledge of his subject matter. So there you go. And obviously, you saw something in that that fit the ethos of the magazine. But it's okay, it's slightly more advanced version because now by this point, I had email and website. But yeah. you know, it's the same thing. He's pitching up, isn't it? It's a really good first part of that story with Doug. Uh, I hope you took a lot from that. I loved spending time looking at scrapbooks and going through almost a life's journey of not just Doug, but the the, the magazine itself, and and you know to think back to getting that first job for the bank and what it meant to me after finding when Saturday comes in the university uh, library. It's it's a real thriller, and part two just gets even better. So um, you might want to flick over and get straight on to part two or digest it in your own time. It's the best thing about podcasts, right? Um, want to hear your thoughts, as ever, at Arrest on the Mix on the Twitter. Uh, get in touch. You can still see some of those illustrations in my portfolio um, at illustrationweb.com forward slash Ben Talon. Uh, go and check out the rest of the guys on Illustration Web. Um, Illustration Limited, I should say. <laughs> I get confused with the two names. Uh, the portfolio is looking great. There's now um, there's now sort of no alphabetical order. You can sift through a sort of randomised portfolios. You can search for the artist you're after. Really cool new stuff going on on the websites, and they're pushing a lot hard on the social media these days. So do go and look for them on Instagram, on the Twitter, and on Facebook, as well as the show, of course. The rest on the mix. Uh, and yeah, that's about it from me. And look forward to joining you in part two of the 30th anniversary of When Saturday Comes. <laughs> <laughs>